Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. I recorded this one live in London, England. And in the seminar, we'll be talking about how to fix a broken diet. Nutrition advice usually comes in buzzwords and slogans. Just eat whole foods, cut the carbs, eat only what flies, runs, or swims. And while these are great sound bites, they don't actually help people sort out their eating. In this seminar, I'll teach you what does. I'll also outline my framework for helping clients get on track or back on track. I have to say, my friends in the UK love this talk, and I really had fun presenting it. So get comfortable, get out a pen and paper for notes, and enjoy the show. So let's get into the theme. It's, it's how to fix a, a broken diet. Okay, three ways to get your clients eating on track. It's actually a lot more than three ways, but uh, the three ways is about a framework that I like to use to, to try and figure out how you could help someone eat better. So, you know, I mean, the nutrition field, right? It's a funny place. What you hear about nutrition often comes in little buzzwords and stuff, right? Like some of the things up here, like just eat whole foods, right? Client comes to you, says, you're in great shape. What should I do for nutrition? And you say, well, just eat whole foods or unprocessed foods or only eat what your grandmother would recognize. That's another popular one experts will tell you. Uh, Eat more fat and fewer carbs is what someone will tell you. Or, or only eat what runs, flies, swims, or is green. That's another popular one nowadays if you want to wrap it all up five things in one, right? So this is unfortunately how most of our clients get information about nutrition and these little buzzwords. Sometimes, unfortunately, they get it from us, right? When you're like, oh, I've packaged up nutrition into a tidy little saying for you. Aren't I witty? You know, but the problem is, I don't know, they're annoying and generally ineffective. Okay, if I'm a new client telling me that I have to uh, eat food that's natural and unprocessed may not mean anything, right? How do I know what's natural and unprocessed? And if your rule is all my food has to be natural and unprocessed, I'll probably never be able to follow your diet. My parents were both born in Italy, so I'm Italian. I come from a big Italian family. We go to big Italian events. They serve things like big, huge bowls of five pounds of pasta. Is that natural? Seems natural. I grew up eating it. My grandmother lived to like 100 years old eating that stuff. Is that natural or do I have to kill that too out of my diet? I don't know. Uh, sugar, people tell you not to eat sugar, but you can actually find sugar growing 
in some cases, right? Or at least the, the precursor to it. And you can get very sweet stuff in nature, like honey is almost completely sugar. I can just go eat some honey, right? So it can get very confusing to a new client, couldn't it? When you say, you know what this buzzword means, the phrase actually is a whole universe of ideas to you. But to the clients, it's just annoying and confusing, and you feel all, I tidied it up for you. But they feel like, I don't know what to do now. So let's talk about that a little bit. I feel like buzzwords are actually a side effect of what we think we should be in fitness and nutrition, but actually shouldn't, which is we feel like we should be experts, right? When people hire us to coach them, they think they're hiring a fitness expert. That's what you want to be. That's why you come to things like this, to develop expertise, yes? Okay. But there's something I call the expert trap. Okay, And it's this idea that when you feel like you're an expert, or someone's paying you to be an expert, when they ask a question, you should be able to answer it. That's your job. Right? Now, so far you're going, what the hell is this guy talking about? Yeah, of course. But I call it a problem because when you're working with clients, they're actually not hiring an expert. What are they hiring? Coaching. Coaching. They're looking for coaching and mentorship. They're not trying to hire the oracle at Delphi. Oh, I'll just come to the oracle and you can feed me the answers to life's greatest mysteries and questions. No, I'm not trying to learn about getting in shape. I'm trying to become in shape. Learning about something is great in a classroom, but no one's trying to learn fitness as a client. They're trying to become fit and it's a different process. Okay? So, as a professional, I urge and encourage you to start just looking at your behaviors and asking. When someone comes and asks me, should I eat breakfast? Simple question. Probably people ask you that often. Does every fiber of your being say, I should have an answer, so I'll answer them? Yes, you should eat breakfast. No, you shouldn't. Or here's maybe a more appropriate way of doing it. Do you like to eat breakfast? A coach often asks questions in response to questions. What's the best diet? Why do you ask that? What's the context? Is it for you or for your child or for a friend? I'm, I'm sort of getting at this idea that we have a tremendous opportunity to change the way we think about our job, okay? Rather than being the all-knower, and the giver of all answers when people ask us questions. We have an opportunity to try coaching instead of telling, to try guiding instead of bossing, all right? So really what we're talking about here is listening to what clients want to accomplish, learning how clients live right now, like how they really live, discovering what's important to them and then working together, creating a personal and unique approach, observing, measuring, and adjusting when necessary. Eat whatever runs, flies, swims, and is green sounds clever. But does it take into account any of this? I, I'm not sure. I'll let you ponder that a little bit, okay? Does it take into account whether someone even wants the goals that that prescription will provide them with. 
whether it fits into their life right now, whether it's even important to them. Okay? We have this great chance as professionals, fitness professionals, coaching professionals, uh, to take this new approach. So rather than knowing the answers to clients, we get a chance to become, uh, let's call it archaeologists, anthropologists. We get to dig into their history. We get to learn about their culture as a person and then give them advice based on that. It's really hard to do. Sometimes we just feel like, oh, I only have time to give them a two-second answer. But sometimes you're doing a disservice, okay? I always say it's our job to first learn everything we can about that client. See through their eyes for a second. And then we can make a recommendation. Otherwise, we're just throwing a bunch of ideas at them. And in many cases, all we're doing is try to make them not like them and more like us. That's what the fitness industry generally does, doesn't it? How do you get in shape? Well, you stop being you, you start being me. It's that easy, right? And we say it in much nicer ways, don't we? It's a lifestyle change. That sounds so much nicer, doesn't it? All you have to do is change your lifestyle, i.e., everything you believe, think, and are. Stop that and start doing it this way because it's way better over here. And I wonder if sometimes it doesn't work because they're not convinced it's way better how you live. You know what I mean? Some of our clients, by the very nature that they can afford us, have some awesome stuff going on in their lives that they kind of like and don't want to give up. So anyway, just think about this as your framework, okay? What does coaching actually look like? Well, coaching actually looks like listening to what clients want to accomplish, really listening, which means asking the right types of questions. It means learning how they live, discovering what's important, etc. Okay? So I think a lot of people talk nutrition. They don't coach nutrition. Right? There's a difference. I just talk about nutrition, what's interesting to me. Talk at you about nutrition, but not coach nutrition. So I think it's a great opportunity for us. So I think instead of preaching or giving people more rules, because that's, that's how we're oriented in this field towards eating. Uh, we need to develop a framework for evaluation and coaching. And that's what I want to share with you, at least my framework, and maybe it'll stimulate some ideas for creating your own. You, you might borrow mine as you begin and, and maybe then develop your own over time. So the reason we need this is because every plan, whatever you decide to go with, if you do a coaching model like we use, which is uh, single practices built on each other, almost like a progressive model, as if you're doing exercise progression over time, or whether you just give people the paleo diet to follow, whatever you do, every diet plan eventually breaks, okay? Something stops working. A new limiting factor emerges that gets in the way of people's progress. And if you don't have a framework, you're going to have no way of dealing with it, and then you get what you get, which is people going, well, I followed paleo for a while and it seemed to work at first and then it stopped working and I didn't know what to do, so then I decided to be vegan. Or whatever people do, right? Not, you think I'm crazy? You've heard this, right? Oh, I went on Weight Watchers and I did that and I lost 100 pounds and then it stopped working and then they started gaining weight and then I went on another diet or I tried this and they bounce around from different idea sets. And as a coach, I, because I coach coaches all over the world, you go, I have this client, you tell me about them. I have this client who's on Weight Watchers, they lost 100 pounds. And you recite that story and you don't have a framework for helping fix it. 
right? Helping get them back on track. So I want to share with you how, what we use here today. So uh, there's a couple of steps. And the first step, and I think this is the most important step, whenever addressing nutrition with any client, whether they're beginner, intermediate, advanced, never thought about food before, whatever. The first is identifying and removing nutrient deficiencies, okay? So this to me is, is what I call this limiting factor approach, okay? Um, there are two approaches you can take, there's probably more, but there's two that I see happening, two big categories. The first is what I call a best practices approach. So a best practices approach is when you list all the things you think are healthy, and then that's what you give your clients. So tell me what you think the best practices of health and nutrition are. Whole grains. Uh, whole grains may be one of them. What else? Fruit Eat more fruits and vegetables. What else? Superfoods. Yeah, include superfoods maybe. What else? Protein with every meal. Any others? Omega-3s. Take omega-3s. What else? Yeah, yeah, someone said drink more water. Sleep eight hours a night, right? These are all best practices. These are the things, if you were hard-pressed, if someone asked you in a seminar to write down what is healthy, what do your clients need to do? You make a list of those, and then you tell them to do that. That's a best practices approach. What's wrong with it? It's too much for any human to do when they don't do any of it previously. They'll never do it. Yeah, they should be doing all of it, but you give people that much stuff, they won't do any of it. It's the great paradox, right? You need all of this, but if I give it all to you, you won't do it. So what do I do next? Well, I prefer this other approach, which is a limiting factor approach. It's relentlessly looking for the one thing that's standing in someone's way right now and only working on that. And I think for a lot of people, it's a nutrient deficiency, some kind of subclinical nutrient deficiency. Okay, so I'll give you some examples of that. Let's say a, a woman is anemic, and we often know that that's related to some sort of iron deficiency. So you can have her sleep eight hours, drink more water, eat protein with every meal, eat more fruits and veg. You can give her all your best practices, but all you actually needed to do was give her an iron supplement. And in two weeks, her life will have been changed. More energy, she's making more red blood cells, carrying oxygen more efficiently, feels good, can exercise again. All right, that's a limiting factor approach. You remove the thing that makes her feel awful right now, and then all of a sudden she feels amazing. And now you can actually segue into other things. Another thing is sleep deprivation, right? Let's say someone is not sleeping enough. Does that impact their diet? Yes, what happens when you don't sleep enough? You eat? You eat more what? Carbs. Carbs. It's well proven that people who sleep less tend to eat more carbs and they gravitate towards more sugars. And there's a whole bunch of physiological reasons for that. But the point is, well, watch what's magical happens. If I work on the limiting factor, sleep, and I get them to sleep an extra hour a night, whatever the case may be, all of a sudden we've improved their diet too. Isn't that awesome? And I didn't have to give them a list of 80 habits that they'll never follow, okay? So that's why we start here. Because I think there's a lot of people who walk in with subclinical nutrient deficiencies. And if we can remove those first, we get their physiology working properly, okay? And I'll give you some examples of that. 
Now before we get to that though, this is my best practices approach, which I also sometimes call the mission impossible approach. This comes from popular advice. I have to cut out my sugar, my dairy, my carbs, and my saturated fat. I have to eat more protein, healthy fat, and veggies. Not a lot of fruit though. I have to start drinking lots of water too, and training, maybe twice a day. And I'm gonna get in wicked shape, right? And you might, if you can do all that, there's probably about five to 10% of your clients who can do all that for about three to four months. And then they'll not see you for a few months and then they'll, they'll be great return customers, that's for sure, okay? But it's the Mission Impossible approach because it's simply too much. This overhaul isn't only unsustainable, this is the, the real crux of it. It rarely even fixes what was broken in the first place. Yes, you might get them losing weight on a highly restrictive diet with exercise twice a day. They might start losing weight that way. But it actually could exacerbate the problem, which is a possible nutrient deficiency. If you look at the data right now, these are, represent the percentage of the population, the US population, that is not meeting the RDA, which is the most conservative recommendation of nutrients. Uh, most people think we need more than these. So 86% vitamin E, and you just go down the list, all of these vitamins and minerals are generally missing from most of the population, or at least low. There were two studies published in the journal for the uh, International Society of Sports Nutrition. Study number one, they took 70 athlete diets and they did three-day food records, which you guys have probably seen before. So it was 210 days of meals, okay? And 100% of them were deficient in at least three nutrients. So they took these 70 athletes, they took all their meals over several days, and not one of them met all of the nutrient requirements that an athlete might have. And athletes generally eat more than the general population. So if this group can't even do it, the rest of people are screwed. And the biggest ones were calcium, iodine, zinc, D and E, okay? Another study done, four diet plans. So they were like, okay, let's take people who are following popular diets. So Atkins, South Beach, DASH, and Best Life Diet. All were deficient, every single one. Every person in every diet was deficient in at least six nutrients, okay? So B7, D, E, chromium, iodine, and that was this particular group. So I'm not saying these are the important nutrients, I'm saying that there's a lot of them that are gonna be missing under most normal conditions, okay? Why does this even matter? The last seminar I gave, a woman was very skeptical. And she's like, well, wait a second, really? I mean, we live in a time of calorie and energy abundance. Our biggest problem is overeating, not deficiency. I mean, it's not like we're a bunch of sailors walking around with scurvy and their teeth are falling out and stuff. And she's right. But, do we know people that exercise and try and eat well and can't regulate their body weight appropriately? Do we know children who are achieving all-time highs in ADD and ADHD behaviors? Hmm, their hair might not be falling out, but we see a host of other cognitive and metabolic problems that are rampant within our culture that are likely related to things that I don't know, affect cognitive function and metabolic function. Nutrients, vitamins, cofactors, coenzymes, that's what all this is related to. Your intake of vitamins and minerals are related to your energy levels. Your eating extra above your needs doesn't really help. But if you're deficient, 
appetite, strength, endurance, mood, central nervous system function, and learning all rely on meeting the basic minimums for these things. Okay? And, um, you know, the, the next thing that comes up is, well, okay, how, as a fitness professional, how do I measure deficiencies in people? Okay, great, I buy that that's important and that it's a problem for people. But how do I measure it? So I'll give you three options, okay? One is clinical assessment, which you might do three times in your career, okay? So this is not really a viable option unless you work with an elite sports club or team and they pay for clinical assessment, where you take blood, saliva, urine, and you look at the markers, okay? You look at nutrient markers. You can find vitamin D and omega-3s and all that stuff in there, okay? Uh, you probably won't do that very often, but you could if you wanted to. Uh, in fact, there are club chains, so health clubs, fitness clubs in the U.S. that do a blood screen at sign-up now. So one of the club chains in the U.S., when you join the club, they do blood lipid and blood glucose analysis right on site. They pull blood, they have a nurse practitioner, and they have a dietitian who analyzes it for you. So to think this is some kind of crazy thing that doesn't relate to our world, it's coming really soon. Okay, uh, the one club chain who's doing it, they've had a lot of success with it. Another major club chain in the U.S. is starting to do it at their higher levels of PT. So two of the biggest club chains in the U.S. are doing it now. And you guys know what happens, right? The U.S. clubs start to do it, then it comes to Canada and the U.K. and Australia, and then starts to propagate everywhere. Okay, next thing, nutrient analysis. Uh, most often it's done with a three-day food record and a dietitian, right? So you hire a dietitian, they tell you to write weigh and measure your food and write down what you eat and all that stuff. Uh, like the new age way of doing it is just take a picture, right? Take a photo of it. Uh, you guys heard of MealSnap? It's, a, it's an app where you can take a photo of your food and it tells you how many calories and how many carbs and proteins and fats are in it. We're doing a project right now with Google through our company. You guys have seen Google Glass. Literally, you don't have to take a picture. Google Glass just records what you ate in your meals and analyzes it in real time. So there's some cool evaluation methods that are coming down the pipe. Right? It's not perfect though, right? Because it only tells me what you've eaten, not what you've absorbed and digested. But it, it can give us a, a picture. And then the last one is literally just do an online diet calculator. Plug in what you eat and the client can do it themselves. I have another one I'll talk about in a second though. The simpler one is, I've worked with 30,000 clients in the last five years through our coaching program, and what we found is that generally, mild dehydration, a host of vitamin and mineral deficiencies, too low protein and too few essential fatty acids are almost everyone's problem, unless they're a very committed fitness person already, okay? But what if, what if you knew that about most of your client base? Then you could start with those things. Those could be the initial practices. Get rid of these deficiencies, get the body working properly, and then we can worry about other things. Because what do we tell most clients? Like, we don't even think about it, it just comes out. You need to, to get in shape, you need to do what more? Move, move, exercise. And what do you need to do less? Eat. Less calories, more exercise. I'll take my 100 bucks now. Right? Consultation over. But that doesn't always work if your physiology is not tuned up properly. Right? There's a concept I've talked about called metabolic flexibility, where our bodies are designed almost to be like hybrid cars, right? Where like in the right conditions I burn 
fuel and the other conditions I burn, you know, my electricity. Right? So you switch back and forth seamlessly between fuel sources as needed in real time. Right? So our bodies are designed to do that. I should be able to eat fat and burn fat, eat carbs and burn carbs with no problem whatsoever. The problem is though, if I gain too much body fat or I don't move enough, my metabolic flexibility starts to be gone. Okay? And then I can't switch back and forth between fuel sources very effectively, and it becomes difficult to manage my health and my weight. One of the factors involved with metabolic flexibility, processing of nutrients, metabolism, is not having deficiencies. Deficiencies will monkey with all of that. Okay? Share a couple studies here. British Journal of Psychiatry and the Nutrition Reviews Journal. So they gave fish oil, one fish oil, one multivitamin capsule, to prison inmates. There was a 35% reduction in violent behavior, 26% reduction in antisocial behavior. They changed nothing else. They just gave them these two pills every day. Here they gave it to kids. They're like, ah, these prison inmates, they're all antisocial and violent. What's another population like that? Oh, kids. <laughs> so they gave them multivitamin fish oil, decrease in antisocial violent behavior almost to the same magnitude, and increase in cognition and test scores. These studies have been repeated time and time again. And it's not to say that fish oil and multivitamin are magical pills that make people smarter and less angry. It's to say that what two populations receive the most amount of institutional nutrition? Prison inmates, school children. What other population? Yeah, elderly and people who are inpatients at hospitals, right? All these groups receive institutional nutrition. You spend any time in the hospital lately? They give you a meal? It's awesome. <laughs> My wife and I just had our third child and so she was in the hospital for that and, you know, honestly, the, the food, I'm like, Really? This is the food? This is even food? It's so crazy, right? The idea behind the two groups is institutional nutrition. Nutrition devoid of a lot of the nutrients. So we're, we're taking these populations who we can guess, we don't even have to measure, are nutritionally deficient. We give them things that easily make them sort of nutritionally balanced from a, a micronutrient, omega-3 standpoint, and all of a sudden their body works better and their brain works better. How amazing is that? Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that with clients? Right? The first thing, instead of giving them all of your fancy best practices, the thing that's in the way right now. So that's why we start with nutrient deficiencies. I think it's the biggest bang for your buck. I think it's the biggest initial opportunity. Get them better in terms of micronutrition, okay, and some of the macronutrition too. Just getting a little more, pro I don't care what your ratio is. If you're deficient in protein, I need you to have some more, okay, if that's your limiting factor right now. How do you get it, to your question? How do you get it, okay? There's lots of ways. Would I, su I give them supplements? Maybe. Would I give them food? Maybe. How would I know the answer to that? I have to learn about the client. I've got to get to know them, right? I can't know what's going to work best for them until we have a conversation. Some clients don't ever want to take pills, right? So then we can do it with food, right? There's options. There's a lot of options. The one thing I often say, though, is that very, very, very few of the clients I've ever worked with have ever given me a hard time about pills. Why? 
Is it because I have the magical select group of clients who uh, are not afraid of anything, who are patient and careful and kind and receptive to all things? No, it's because we build a trusting relationship, right? If your clients trust you, they'll believe what you say. How do you build trust with them? Something for you guys to think about. Clients are way less difficult with you if they trust you. It's just kind of how it happens. Step two, now we start to talk about the stuff that everyone talks about first, how much you eat, calories, right? Notice we haven't talked about calories yet. For some clients, we may work together three months before we even think about calories, okay? How much they're eating. And notice, we might not even get into what they're eating yet, okay? Clients will often in our coaching programs be like, how come you didn't tell me what not to eat? I hope to never tell you what not to eat, actually. Because we can take care of this without doing that. So now we start to look at the food amount first, and then maybe the food type, okay? So calorie control, that's really what we're getting at. The goal is to achieve calorie control, at least for us, without counting calories. I hate counting calories. It's distracting, annoying, and often flat out wrong. So let me address each piece. Distracting. When people get into calorie counting, they think there's something magical about that. But the thing is, generally, people who've done this for the long haul don't count calories anymore. Because it's annoying. You don't need to, right? You might have at some point in your career. But the problem is, counting calories gives power to the process of counting calories, when really all it does is make you more aware of your eating. And if you can't keep counting calories forever, and you think that was the magic, when you stop counting calories, you think you're off your diet. See what I mean? You attach too much importance to the wrong thing, and when you can't do that wrong thing, especially when it's hard to do, then you feel like you're not doing the thing at all. So I don't like calorie counting. That's why it's distracting. It distracts from the most important things you could be doing. It's annoying. I think it's really annoying. Because I don't eat calories, I eat food. You know, like green stuff and stuff that flies and runs or whatever, right? So it's on my plate, it's food. And then what I have to do is somehow turn it into numbers, mathematics, like energy, combustible energy, what? Okay, and then I have to subtract or add to the numbers that I generated that aren't food, but just numbers based on food, and then I have to turn that back into food. That's some kind of weird alchemist. Like, I need to be an alchemist to plan my lunch? Or a mathematician, which is it? I don't know. Isn't that annoying? It really is. And I know some people in the room are going, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> I found a lot of benefit in counting calories. But it might not be the same benefit you think you found. Counting calories is generally okay for raising your awareness, but I have better ways of doing raising awareness that don't involve mathematics about my lunch. I'll teach you another way to do it. Uh, but the last part is flat out wrong. Okay, so the assumptions that are built in. I mean, where do you find out how many calories was in your food? Where do you find that out? So on the package. Where else? It, it is, yeah. Where else can you find out? By plugging it into Fit Day or some online calculator. And all the data is derived from one place. And how they get that data? Once upon a time, 
This company who made this Campbell soup or whatever it is, uh, sent it to a laboratory, USDA laboratory, and they analyzed it. And then what they did is analyzed it, but if the recipe changed, that number is no longer valid. But they don't test, there's not like a person hanging out in the uh, manufacturing facility testing every batch. They test like a batch every few years, okay? Also, apple. You're like, okay, yeah, but that's Campbell's soup. Apple. Well, what if the apple was picked ripe or not ripe? What if it was grown different conditions? So all of our food estimates have the potential to be about 20 to 30% off. That's pretty big over the course of a day, isn't it? I calculate my intake to be 3,000 calories a day, or 2,700, or 3,300, or somewhere in between, right? And then how accurate is that treadmill, or those tables you use to predict how much energy was burned through strength training? Those are often off by about 25% or 30% also. So now check this out. I might be burning 3,000 calories a day and trying to balance that with my energy of 3,000 calories a day, but I could really be burning 2,700 and eating 3,300 and not knowing why I'm gaining weight. So you can see that calorie counting just generally is inaccurate. So it gives even more credence to the idea that the real value in counting calories is only the attention and awareness that it brings to your eating and not the numbers themselves. So what if I could do that a different way? Bring attention to what I'm eating, okay? So I don't like calorie counting generally, but what I do like is something like this, okay? These are sort of how we use like uh, palm size, hand size, portion estimates for clients. So a palm, right? Your palm. Diameter and thickness is about one portion of protein. A fist is one portion of veggies. It's about equal to a cup. Um, cupped handful of carbs, so that might be berries or pasta or rice or potato or whatever, and fats about the size of a thumb. That's equal to one serving, okay? And that might be these almonds, uh, a tablespoon of oil is about the same, as we call that a thumbful. So if we start most men here, two palms of protein, two fists, and this assumes three or four uh, meals a day, and women here, we're off to a really great start in terms of macronutrient balance total energy intake without counting calories at all. And the neat part is, if you're bigger, what do you normally have? Bigger. bigger hand. And if you're smaller, you normally have a smaller hand. So this scales with body size. Also, I tend not to leave my hand at home. Usually bring it. So now if I'm at a restaurant, if I'm at a friend's house, if I'm eating dinner at home, I can measure my portions according to this thing that I carry around. I don't have to get out my phone during the meal. I mean, excuse me, everyone, I have to take a picture of my phone from my trainer. Um, I don't have to wear Google Glass. I don't have to write shit down and have a weighing scale with me at all times. I can just use this. No math required. It's genius. I just need eyeballs and a hand. Okay? So I really like this as a starting place. And you might say, well, I don't know, some women who are very active, is that enough food? Or I don't care. What you do is you start here and you use outcome-based decision-making. You say, oh, you're losing weight too quickly? No problem, let's add a little bit more food. Oh, you're gaining weight? Okay, we can subtract a bit of food from that, right? And that's what you're doing with calorie counting anyway, isn't it? You're like, oh, I'm gaining weight, I should subtract some calories. But here I don't have to do any math. I'm actually good at math, but I don't want to do it at dinner. So this is the point 
where I say we can stop. All right, Because most clients, if you eliminate their deficiencies and get their food portions right, they can just stop here. It never has to be any more complicated. You don't have to be like, well, avoid this and that and more rules and that. And, and I'm going to talk about more complicated and a little bit more fancy and a little bit more advanced in a minute. But I'm going to tell you that very few clients ever have to go where we're about to go. Okay? Very few. If you get most people getting to this place, and for a lot of them it may take six months to get there. Because I don't want you to print this out and give this to them. Okay? For a lot of them it's going to be too hard of a change. How can you build them up to this slowly? How do you get them learning about which portions of protein they can have and will have and they like and all that stuff? And then the carbs and then the fats and all of that sort of a thing. Alright, so what we do next, and this is the fancier stuff, okay? is we start to make adjustments to that basic two palms, two fists, two thumbs on body type, okay? And again, this is just another good starting point, but it gets a little bit more refined. So we call this our eye type, so this is our ectomorphic body type. Usually tall and generally lean, faster metabolism. Uh, character traits are that they generally fidget around quite a lot. Um, they just burn a lot more energy because their sympathetic nervous system is dominant through daily activities. You're sitting there kicking your legs. That's what that, this type does. They're fidgeters. They're, you know, you ever talk on the phone and you can't sit there and you have to walk around or you have to move. And generally people in fitness have a lot of this non-exercise thermic activity. They burn a lot just moving around and stuff. And that's usually characteristic of this type. This type here is our sort of naturally more muscular uh, individuals. And they have a sort of more of like a testosterone and growth hormone dominant type. And then we have our O type here. And they have different characteristics altogether. Okay? Um, I, I have a really close friend. I'm naturally this type. And I've just lifted weights for a really long time and built some muscle. He's naturally this type. Right? And for us to hang out, I like have to smoke weed and he like has to go on speed. You know what I mean? Like he's just so chill and mellow and doesn't move and whatever. And I'm hyper and so that's how we have, that's how we would meet in the middle. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's these characteristics. It's not just body type, but it's nervous system type, hormonal type. So that's why we get into some different recommendations each. Our eye types, our ectomorphs, are high revving, fast metabolism. They tend to be thyroid and sympathetic nervous system dominant. They're really sensitive to catecholamines, epinephrine and norepinephrine. These types of individuals, which coffee sort of kicks off this catecholamine response in the body, tend to get a little bit crazy on coffee, right? They fidget, they pace, you give them coffee, they're a little bit nuts. And then for them, we have a specific type of eating recommendation. So for them, since they tend to handle carbohydrates better, we like to give them more carbs and less fat. They tend to do much better on it. So they might get three portions of carbs and one of fats, while the protein and veggies stay the same. For men, and the same thing for women, it just starts at about half. And then we go to our mesomorphs. They have this strength and power build. Uh, they're, the, they're the people I always wanted to just punch in the face, but I was too small to when I was younger, right? They're like, you're like, you don't even work out? <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. 
So I've been working out for eight years to look just like you. <laughs> okay, awesome. So their calories just go to muscle. It goes to bone density. They have anabolic and a hormonal drive, uh, testosterone, growth hormone dominance. So for them, they do really well on mixed diets. Okay, so that's like what we talked about, the 2-2-2 thing. If you were to qualify it, it would be like, kind of like a zone, like 40-30-30 type of thing. These guys do great on that. Whereas that last group does better on like the more conventional government regulations, which is a bit more carb and a bit less fat. Okay, so you'll notice I'm starting to reconcile all the different camps as we go through this, right? I'm saying that there is actually a place for those people who say high carbs are good, right? There's a certain body type that works beautifully with that. But there's another body type that works really well with that sort of mixed zone thing. That's why I think zone got so popular with the CrossFit group for a while, because CrossFit already self-selects for mesomorphic body types, right? So all of a sudden you're a mesomorph, you're in CrossFit, and you're like, zone worked for me. Problem is then you think it has to work for the rest of the world. But you, you got a self-selected group, you, you found your tribe, right? And then the last group is our endomorphs. They tend to have these engines that just idle. They have slower metabolisms generally. They're parasympathetic dominant. That's why they chill out way more. Uh, they have lower NEAT, that non-exercise thermic activity. They don't pace and fidget and just burn calories as being there. And they have a higher propensity for fat gain. So we do something differently with them. We give them more fat and lower carbs. Okay, so this might be more of like a paleo or what used to be popular Atkins or the high fat, lower carb approach. And there's lots of new taglines for that way of eating. So you notice I sort of have this belief system that all the different types of diets are valid and useful and good as long as they're applied to the right people, the right bodies. This is sort of my reconciliation of the fact that I know people who do well on all three types. You would never go ketogenic. Uh, so the question was, but you would never go like with a ketogenic diet? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, if you generally do a high, high fat, lower carb diet, you could be in a ketogenic state during some portions of the day. I don't really like the general fitness conversation around ketosis because no one measures it. Right? You're like, I'm doing a ketogenic diet. Well, ketogenic diet means that there's ketone bodies being produced are abundant in your blood and producing energy. You have no idea that you were ketogenic or not. None whatsoever, right? This is more about the reloading, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, that this is all theory, though, right? Everyone who's talking about it is talking about theory, unless they're measuring stuff, right? I have a little issue with that, okay? I mean, it's a neat concept or whatever, and if you're eating low carb, you're probably close to ketogenesis, but I don't think that's the most important thing. It's, it's sometimes hard to pin down a person's body type, first of all, right? So you're like, what are you in the first place? And then second of all, if you change your body through a, a pretty massive transformation, you might look like a different type. And you're like, oh, well, okay, I, I don't know even how to do this. Well, remember, you don't have to get it right. These are all just starting places. You can guess, right? And remember, it's not just morphology. It's character traits. This is where everyone gets all excited. This is awesome stuff. But you might only use it with 10% of your clients, right? Remember, we stopped before these slides. I said, don't go here with most of your clients because you won't need to, all right? So again, I mean, a quick synopsis is basically this. The I-type tends to do well on higher carb, lower fat, and lower or moderate protein diets, okay? The V-type tends to do well in the middle, and the O-type tends to do well with higher fat, higher protein, and lower carb. And you might not have to 
be 40, 30, 30, or your percentage is perfect. But it's fairly easy to just say high carb, low fat, or vice versa, right? And that's all you really need to strive for with the different body types if, if, if you go here with clients. So this is step two. After eliminating deficiency, you adjust food amount and type, okay? Now what this whole conversation we're having today is missing is a certain contextual piece, just because I don't have enough time, that I gave in other sessions that I did earlier which is how to coach people through this. How do you see where they are today, see through their eyes today, figure out what they can do next, what their limiting factor is, and then move them towards these things if they need to go there. For some clients, just fixing the nutritional deficiencies, they'll love you forever. They'll be like, I never had energy before, and I do now. I used to have a problem, I couldn't eat any food, and I would just gain weight. Now, I don't even have to lose weight. Like, I can just eat a normal amount and be a normal human. Okay, so these types of things are really valuable to people. Don't overlay your goals or your expectations on them. Know what theirs are. It's really important. So step three, that's when we can fine tune the details. This is where everyone in our field loves to geek out. Everyone who loves to read about nutrition and attend nutrition seminars. They're like, yeah, but what about meal frequency and workout nutrition and timing and carb cycling and all this stuff, right? It's all this interesting stuff. I think generally for with our client, it's distracting. It's nothing but distracting because the things we talked about already are what they need to do. They need to master and they need to get at. Some of this stuff, the average client never needs to see in their entire life. Some clients though might need to go here. You might be working with high level athletes. You might be stagnant with some of the other approaches. But again, I want to remind you, are you sure you want to go here? Okay. After eliminating deficiency, adjusting food amount, and if necessary, type and body type, everything else is very minor, debatable, and I promise you will change during the course of your career. Okay. The opinions about these things will change. That's an inevitability. I can pro if I promise you nothing more, I can promise you that. And you just need to be okay with that. So here's what we think right now, according to the latest literature, which may be likely to change. But here's the cool part, let me go back. When it changes, we often have this binary perspective, like because it changed, everything we said yesterday was wrong, and this is the new right. And obviously that's a real fallacy, because the thing you said yesterday you thought was the new right, but it's today's wrong. Right? Every generation thinks that. But usually it's not wrong or right. It's an evolution of knowledge. You've actually just refined and added to the understanding, not made it invalid. So when you hear the next latest greatest thing, and you feel bad because you were saying the other thing that seemed different, you've usually just evolved in your knowledge, not been wrong. You don't have to apologize. You just say, well, no one in the world knew this, so how could I have known? So it's okay. It's okay. For example, I say all of that just to set you up for what I'm about to tell you you've said wrong in your entire career, okay? Meal frequency. What has our industry generally told people about meal frequency? Three meals, really? In fitness? Yeah, six meals a day, eat every three hours. Now this belief system has been changing in the last few years, maybe the last year or two, but prior to that the whole fitness industry was grazing. Right? Grazing. Uh, there was some stuff about eating like a prince and one time and a pop, whatever. It's more bullshit buzz phrases. 
Um, but it was eat frequently throughout the day. Small meals frequently throughout the day. Don't graze because sumo wrestlers eat one big meal a day and you wouldn't want to be big like them. I don't know. It's people who have all these crazy ideas. And why did we eat frequently? What was the belief system? What were we told? Okay, so yeah, that's one. It speeds the metabolism. Avoids starvation mode. Avoids starvation mode. Lowers cortisol, right? And you guys have said this in your career. I've said in my career. I published stuff about it. Published research papers about it. Eating frequently throughout the day. Yes, you've, you've done that? You've told clients to do that? you told them it's the best way to eat? Yes. Okay. You weren't wrong, but let's evolve your knowledge today. All right? So the latest research now is showing that grazing or eating bigger meals two or three times a day, sometimes even one big meal a day, are fine. Both are fine, as long as your total calories are in check. Okay? As long as we eat the right foods and the right amounts, meal frequency is a matter of personal preference. Don't say it doesn't matter, okay? Because your assumption is that only physiology matters, right? It does matter to the eater, right? If they want to eat one meal a day, that's totally fine. Let them do it, as long as you coach them on how to do it appropriately. If they want to eat three meals, that's fine. If they want to eat six or eight meals, that's fine too. As long as you can help coach them along the best way to control calories under those conditions. Okay? There is no magic to it. We published a research paper in the International uh, Society for Sports Nutrition's journal, reviewing all of the literature to date. So it's everything up until 2013. And we found that there is no metabolism impact. It doesn't matter. If you eat the same amount of calories, you get the same thermic effect, you get the same metabolic effect. Doesn't speed the metabolism. Next, calorie and carb cycling. This is cycling based on your energy levels or cycling carbs. This is another popular strategy among bodybuilders, physique transformers, and people who want to be more advanced. So on non-workout days or very low intensity short duration days, you get a baseline diet of protein, veggies, and fats. And then on workout days where you're doing like high intensity weights or longer duration or HIIT training or whatever, you do extra carbs. You just add that to the baseline. So you have your carby days and your non-carby days. Okay? It's a neat strategy. Most clients will never have to do it. It's an interesting way to control carbohydrates. But notice, this is what we were talking about earlier. Over the course of a week, you eat fewer carbs this way, right? But over the course of a day, you might have very few or very many. So you cycle that way. It's an interesting way. I've actually found this really work well in women who think they're intolerant to carbohydrates. Oh, uh, but you don't know me. Whenever I eat carbs, I just blow up, okay? And I found that this type of approach really helps them, okay? Uh, it also helps people who love carbs. <laughs> That's the amazing part. You can eat a fairly low-carb diet, but a high carb day. And the next day you have few carbs, the next day you have high carbs, or whatever the case may be according to your training, and you just pair it with your training days. Okay? It's a neat strategy to just solve little problems. You notice we're solving specific problems. This isn't for everyone. Um, and then there's all this workout nutrition stuff. What do I eat before, during, after? Protein and carbs during workout? How does that all work? Bursting some bubbles. But it probably doesn't matter unless the rest of your diet is really bad, and that's the only time you're getting protein, okay, and amino acids. Two, you're training for maximal muscle adaptation, okay? Working out three times a week, you're not training for maximal muscle adaptation, generally. 
or you're training at very high volume and intensity. Under those conditions, all this stuff about workout nutrition is valid. But, I mean, when I can open up an issue of Cosmo, and there's like a nutrition advice for women to take, make sure you get your protein and carbs during your workout, we're missing the point, okay? We're missing the point. This stuff works in high-level athletics, but you're not doing high-level athletics. I actually compete in master's athletics now. I'm a, I'm a track sprinter. I run 100 meters. And I, I, I train on the track twice a week, and I strength train twice a week. I don't even do the most of this stuff. Honestly, I'm not an elite athlete. I'm training four times a week. It's pretty hard. Compared to the average gym goer, it's a lot more. But I work with elite athletes. They train like it's their job, because it is their job. They train very differently than what I'm doing. So even under my conditions, I don't worry about this too much. Because the rest of my diet's really good. I'm not really training for max. I'd like adaptation, but I also want to spend some time with my kids and want to run my business. And my volume at four days a week is not really high. Okay? So I think post, pre, during workout nutrition is really good for some conditions, but it's not required. But the reason I bring all this up is I find it wonderfully freeing to know that you don't have to do this. You can. You can eat six meals a day or one. You can. You can do either and it can work. You can have workout nutrition. You don't have to. Okay? You can do, I don't know, one of any number of these advanced things or not. Because the truth is it probably doesn't matter very much. Okay? And the only thing I'll say is that focusing on these things in the absence of getting rid of deficiencies, getting calories right, isn't just pointless, it's counterproductive. Because you only have so much energy to spend. There's only so many habits you can do. Okay? And if you're doing these and not the ones that really matter, then you're actually going backwards by trying some of this stuff. You get, get where I'm coming from? You just don't have unlimited resources. Now, if these are needed, I'll give you some recommendations. Eat normally around your workout. Have one of your normal meals, like what we talked about earlier, an hour or two before. During, if you're trying to manage body weight or body fat, then branch chains, 10 grams per hour of exercise is fine. You can put the powder in water or whatever. If you're out for maximal recovery and not worried about body weight or body fat, 15 grams of protein, 30 grams of carbs per hour of exercise is a great recommendation. Okay? So if this is for you, you could try some of this. If it's for clients, remember, there's going to be only a few, but that's a great, very productive type of routine. So that was step three. Eliminate deficiency, adjust food, then fine-tune. So let's just do a quick summary. So the first thing I think that's most important is to remove red flags and nutrient deficiencies. That's that limiting factor concept, okay? Find out what's in the way right now. For a lot of people, it's a deficiency, okay? Let's fix that first. Then we try and control calorie intake without counting calories. Then we try and consider body type and activity level if we have to go there. Most clients, you won't. Then we watch progress. We observe it carefully and adjust as needed, like we talked about earlier. It doesn't matter how many calories it is and whether it matches up with your exercise. That's all theoretical anyway. You can't even predict that. How many calories did you recommend there? I don't know. 
Somewhere between 2,500 and 3,500. Why can't you tell me exactly? Because no one on planet Earth knows, right? You don't know how many you're burning either, even if that little treadmill tells you, okay? So we try stuff, we observe, we ask questions, and then we adjust as needed, and then we do all this in the long term before trying other stuff, like fancy workout nutrition, like intermittent fasting, like carb cycling. So anyway, at this point, I'm over time. I just want to thank you all for being here with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm back. Hope you enjoyed the seminar. If it were up to me, you'd walk away remembering a few things. First, buzzwords and slogans rarely do any good. Instead, people need a framework for figuring out what to do and in what order to do it in. Next, instead of tackling difficult and massive lifestyle overhauls, begin by identifying limiting factors and eliminate them strategically. In our coaching model, we begin with nutrient deficiencies, then we look to calorie control, and only if necessary do we think about things like body type nutrition, nutrient timing, or carb cycling. Just remember, if you're either paid to help others eat well, or you just help friends and family because you can, it's important to have a process, one that helps people evaluate the best way of eating for their body and their lifestyle. In the end, if you want some help developing your own nutrition coaching system, I'll be happy to lend a hand. In the coming weeks, through our Precision Nutrition Certification course, I'll be taking a group of trainers and coaches and teaching them how to deliver world-class nutrition advice to every type of client. It's the industry's most respected nutrition education and certification program, and if you like this seminar, I know you'll get a lot out of it. To find out more, just click the link below this video. Because if you're interested in learning a proven nutrition system, deepening your education, and boosting your credentials, then I know you'll love this. Check it out. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.